As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. And we're back for another episode of the Athletic Hockey Show. I'm Ian Metis alongside Haley Salvi. And on this episode of the show, we'll focus on the dysfunction in Buffalo, where it feels like things are ready to boil over. We'll chat about Jordan Biddington's meltdown against the Sharks on Saturday. Dom Luce-Chichin, we'll find out if I pronounce that correctly. He's going to drop by for an episode of Dom, Dumber, and dumbest, yes, that is the name of the segment. And we'll ask our resident uh, stats and analytics guru for some updated playoff odds as we hit the month of March. We'll do some multiple choice madness, dip into some of your questions as well. And actually, we have questions for you. We want to remind you that you can participate in our second annual listener survey at The Athletic. All you got to do is you can click on, uh, you see the episode uh, description here, click on the link there. That'll take you to a survey. Just takes you a couple of minutes to fill out. We want to know how we can be better for you. We would love Uh, We would love to get your feedback and tell us what you like and maybe what you don't like about our show. So, Haley Salvian, you tell me. Here's a survey question for you. Dom Luce Chichen. Did I get it right this time or what? No, I think we need to just give up with you trying. Uh, So what did I do wrong here? It's just you're adding like a ch to it when it's a sh. It's Dom Luce Chichen. Yeah, I still think this is I think I was closer than I've ever been before. Yeah, you're getting there, but it's still not right. So yeah, kind of <laughs> feels like the uh, 
Uh, a description for the Calgary Flames. Getting there, but maybe just not quite right. Uh, we're in the <laughs> middle of the Kachuk brothers uh, battling it out, Haley. And I know a lot of people were curious to see, because uh, we had Keith on the show last week, and Keith was like, the boys aren't fighting. And then, uh, of course, everybody was like, I wonder if they're going to fight. Then Matthew shut that down. We haven't even seen them so much as like poke each other in a scrum, have we? No, I think the closest that, you know, we've ever even seen to something happening, like Brady and Matthew do their thing against everyone else. But then we see these really funny close-ups on camera of them like reacting to it. I know, uh, I remember last year, I think Brady ran at David Riddick and Matthew was on the ice. And usually Matthew would be the first one in to, to defend Big Save Dave. And last season, like we saw him not do anything. He was just like, ooh not like don't do that like he was kind of in it but not really but then I thought it was really funny in the last game with uh you know Mark Giordano he was feeling it like he was he was coming in hot with the chirps you saw it in warm-up I don't know if you saw what he said to Connor Brown yeah after that big hit back in the gym which is a you know pretty legendary for the 37 year old young and fresh with the chirps um but we saw Brady got the penalty late in the game against Gio And then he pushed Gio when he was down. And then the camera just kept zooming in on Matthew. And Matthew's on the bench just kind of laughing like, go get back at him, G. Like, give it back to him. Give it back to him. So it's funny. But, you know, I think it's – I don't quite understand why everyone thinks they're going to fight. I get it. Like, I know other brothers have fought. It's like a funny storyline. But obviously the brothers aren't, like, gung-ho for that narrative. The dad's not gung-ho for that narrative. So I wonder if we should just – save some face and stop asking them so they don't say we're all idiots. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're, we're not going to see that happen. But Haley, I think the biggest no. <laughs> story in the NHL right now, biggest story in the NHL, it's not Kachuk v. Kachuk. It is maybe Eichel v. Kruger. What on earth is happening uh, happening in Buffalo? You know, I let John Vogel's piece today in The Athletic, phenomenal. Does a great yeah. job. John does a great job of kind of painting the picture for those of us who are not inside the Buffalo market, what they're dealing with. And it feels like utter dysfunction from a a lack of communication between Kruger and Eichel on, on Eichel's injury last week to uh, Jeff Skinner, not being uh, kind of, or kind of being in the doghouse to Taylor Hall, not producing to like everything. It is boiling over. Do you feel like we have reached some sort of boiling point in Buffalo? Cause when I read John Vogel today, uh, Haley, I feel like, Something's got to happen here in the next couple of days. Yeah, well, I read John's piece this morning as well, um, You know, even before we started prepping for the podcast, really. And I, and I just thought he he hit the nail right on the head in, in so many ways. I mean, he, you know, just right off the bat, it's time for change. There's no way around it. And I would agree with that. But, you know, there's just so many things that are going wrong in Buffalo right now. And once again, like, it wasn't supposed to be like this. I mean, I'm sure people could have looked into their crystal ball and said, no, there's no way Buffalo's going to get out of it. Um, you know, they're they're cursed or whatever it may be. But, you know, it wasn't supposed to be like this. The Sabres made some moves. Um, they, they thought they were going to be good this year, obviously bringing in Taylor Hall. Um, you know, I just think that there was, at least from some people, this feeling that things might be different this season, and it's not. Um, it's arguably worse because there were more expectations. I would. I, I wonder if that's fair to say. Um, and obviously, it's just not working. And as John kind of went through, there's just you know, there's a lot that's going wrong. It, it's really difficult to maybe pinpoint exactly what the problem is, and it's difficult to even know where to start. You know, 
They, I think they didn't score a single goal this weekend. They lost three, nothing multiple times. Um, when you, again, you look at Taylor Hall, Jack Eichel, Jeff Skinner, like those guys are making money and they're not either, they're either not playing, they're either not producing. It's just a really difficult situation. And we saw that kind of weird coaching that happened. You know, I know Ralph Kruger kind of got, you know, put under the microscope a little bit because of, you know, whatever it was that happened with the injury situation. So, I mean, Kruger said that he, like, so Jack Eichel sat out Thursday's game with a lower body injury, but he dressed for the pregame skate. And Kruger said that the injury showed up in warm up and caught everyone by surprise. But then Eichel said, No, I didn't. I hurt myself in New Jersey on Tuesday. So two, three days, I guess three days before. Uh, So then Kruger had to backtrack and say, you know, no, this isn't gamesmanship here. You know, I just didn't know about that specific injury. He aggravated something else. And I didn't know about that until warm up. And it's just, it's all just bizarre. Like, I don't know. I'm not in that room. I don't know the coaches. I don't know the players. So I don't know you know, exactly what's happening here. But just reading that story from John, it's just a mess. And I don't know how they're supposed to fix it because do you blow it up right now? Like they're not saving the season. So do the Pagulas want to fire a coach um, to pay two guys in the middle of a pandemic when they're not going to make the playoffs regardless of what happens? Like, do they just ride it out? Do they try to sell everybody? Are they going to start making trades? Um I don't know what the solution is, but again, I just don't know if making a coaching change right now is what they're going to do. When again, the season seems like it's gone. It's lost. They have 37 games left, but how much room can you really make up just by changing your coach? And you're probably not going to get that coach for two weeks. (laughs) So I don't know what the answer is, but they need to do something. Right. And I think, you know, the, the Eichel and Kruger miscommunication, as you kind of described it. I I think the only thing that does for us on the outside is gives us a window into the dysfunction or the lack of communication or the lack of trust. Like something's amiss there. I thought John Vogel's piece today was great, Haley. Like just listen to this rundown of the lack of productivity from elite players, okay? Jack Eichel, two goals in 17 games. Taylor Hall, no goals in 18 games. Jeff Skinner, no goals, one assist in 16 games. Kyle Ocpozo, uh, no goals and one assist in 14 games. I mean, you, you, your high-level guys, your impact guys aren't getting it done. So here's the question. I feel like as we talk about this, it's reaching a boiling point. You just laid out why it might be very difficult to, in a COVID year, make a coaching change. I mean, the Montreal Canadiens did it, Haley, but they had somebody on staff in Dominic Ducharme who they felt like, okay, we don't have to abide by any quarantining uh, issues. We can simply... Uh, you know, bring them in. That might not be the case in Buffalo. So let me ask you this question. Who lasts longer in Buffalo, Haley, Jack Eichel or Ralph Kruger? Well, honestly, Ian, kind of like I said before, with just how, you know, strange it would be to make a coaching change again, we did see that with the Montreal Canadiens, but uh, John did lay it out pretty smoothly in the piece too. He did, like, like we've said, he did a really great job, but, you know, a coaching change isn't as simple as just calling up, you know, one of the guys who are sitting at home and saying, hey, do you want to come coach in Buffalo? They'd have to quarantine. Um, that would take at least uh, one week or two weeks. Um, 
And as John said, they have seven games in the next 13 days. So if they're going to make a coaching change right now, that's seven games where they're going to have either an assistant or um, one of their coaches from the Rochester Americans, which they don't have that much pro experience. So what are you actually, you know, going to benefit from, from getting rid of Ralph Kruger and having, you know, a coach with way less experience in the National Hockey League? Um I think it's easier, you know, there are quarantine requirements for trades, um, but I think it's probably easier to make a trade. And at least if you're the Buffalo Sabres, you fire a coach, you have to bring in a different one, you're you're spending more money, et cetera, et cetera, like we already mentioned. But if you're trading Jack Eichel and you're bringing pieces back, that I mean, I'm not coming out here and saying like the Buffalo Sabres need to trade Jack Eichel, but if I had to maybe say, like I would... I think that Ralph Kruger, because of how strange this year is, might last longer than Jack Eichel because the trade deadline's coming up. We're in March now. So the trade deadline's coming up in around 40 days. Um, as we mentioned in our last show, he does have that. Um, he does have a full, he has a much more, you know, strict no move clause coming up in his deal in the next couple of years. This might be the time where the Buffalo Sabres say, okay, maybe we need to move Jack Eichel. And maybe Jack Eichel's finally saying, you know what? No, I'm done. So I think if I had to put money on it, I would say that Ralph Kruger might last longer just because of the nature of this weird season. Yeah, it's it's going to be really interesting to see. I feel like as we the calendar flips to March, I feel like the odds of both Kruger and Eichel being in Buffalo or things being status quo in Buffalo – when we flip the calendar to April seems minimal. Like it feels like something's going to happen there and and it's going to be something significant. So if, if Jack Eichel ends up being on the trade, uh, you know, on the trade market in the rumor mills here, Haley, the question then becomes what's he worth on the open market? And I think it's going to be interesting because I think his skill set, his age, his, the position that he plays really to me, there's like eight or nine players in the league where I wouldn't trade them for Eichel. But after that, I'd be I'd be I'd be game to trade virtually anybody for Jack Eichel because I think his his upside is is tremendous. So as we look at this, and the one team that keeps coming up is the Rangers because everyone says, "Look, David Quinn's their coach. He knows Jack. Maybe this is a great fit. You get Eichel to the Big Apple." So I'm gonna throw something out at you. You tell me who says no because and it can't be straight up Eichel for Lafreniere because I just feel like Eichel is much more established. Uh, so here's here's the potential deal I'm throwing out. Who says no, Haley? Jack Eichel to the Rangers for Lafreniere and the goalie Shesterkin. Who says no? Well, I know that our producer Chris would say no because <laughs> he already did. a Rangers did. fan. Yeah. <laughs> when he looked at the rundown, he was like, no, no. Uh, so I will, you know, give Chris the, the love there. He says no. Um, but honestly, I, I don't know if uh, – if the, I know things haven't been – you know, swimming and golden and awesome to start the, the, you know, his NHL career. I think Alexi Lafreniere is going to be fine. I just, do you really trade your first overall pick and, you know, one of your star goalies for, for Jack Eichel? I think that I would probably say no, just because of the potential that's there. Um, with Alexi Lafreniere, the potential with their goaltender, um, I, I would say no. And I think the Rangers would probably say no. Yeah. Well, anyway, I, that that's going to be. Would for you sure. say yes? Yeah, I would. I would. If I, why? Like I said, what but is, maybe why? maybe I'm overly <laughs> bullish on Eichel. Yeah. I think Jack Eichel 
is a legit superstar stud and guys like that don't become available all that often. And that's not to say that Lafreniere can't become that as well, but I I, I don't know. I I'm, I guess I'm just a, a big fan of Jack Eichel. I think that if you get this guy into the right spot in the right place, I think he could take off. So I there's only a handful of guys I wouldn't trade for him. And after that, I I would say all bets are off. Now, the Sabres, of course, Haley and their fan base are going to be super reluctant because the last time they traded a legitimate, you know, high-end centerman was Ryan O'Reilly, right? They traded away mm-hmm. O'Reilly. That came back to bite them. O'Reilly wins a con smite in the Stanley Cup uh, in St. Louis, does it with Jordan Biddington. And Biddington is in the news this weekend, Haley, for the way that he exited Saturday's game against San Jose. So for those people who haven't seen the uh, the footage... Uh, Biddington gets pulled in the middle of this game against San Jose. And as he's leaving the ice, he does a skate by of the Sharks bench and he chats at them and he's chirping at them. He skates by Eric Carlson, appears to kind of give him like a little bit of a blocker punch kind of thing to the face. Then he gets into it with Devin Dubnik on his way off the ice. So I want to know, how do we, how do we feel about Jordan Biddington's exit? Was this acceptable behavior from a competitive goalie or was that an example of poor sportsmanship? I mean, to like flip it on people, I I can understand why people watch that clip and said, you know, he's having a little tantrum. Like he's, that's like not cool. That's unsportsmanlike, but how come it's unsportsmanlike for a goaltender to do that when the skaters do that all the time? Skaters don't get pulled. Um, but we've seen forwards, we've seen defensemen go at goalies, go at each other. There's scrums after the whistle all the time. So why do we not call those unsportsmanlike? Like I know Bennington was just kind of running at people and doing cheap shots. So I, I, I do agree with people saying like, why is he doing that? But I mean, I think he was emotional. I think he was probably upset about the poll. He was upset about his play. Um, I don't think it's a terrible thing. I don't think... I don't think it's great. Like I didn't watch that and say like, that's a real awesome competitor, like well done. But I also didn't watch it and say like, you're the worst, if that makes sense. I just, we see scrums after whistles all the time. We see guys cheap shotting each other all the time. Um, so, I, I mean, I think it's it's different to see it from a goalie who just got pulled, who's just kind of looking for somebody to, to go at. Um, because it's a bit more rare for that position. But in terms of the game, it's not all that rare. Yeah, I think one of the things that struck me from from watching Bennington, and I only saw the replay, right? So I wasn't watching the game live. But one of the things that struck me, Haley, it's very rare that we see what I would classify as genuine emotion in hockey yeah. anymore, right? And so I'm very careful to not want to stamp that out, right? Like I think if we... Yes. If we all just rally around and point a finger at Jordan Bennington and say, man, you were wrong, like, th- there's a fine line. Now, did he maybe yeah. cross it a little bit? Yeah maybe, yeah, maybe he did. But this wasn't the most egregious thing that we've ever seen. I like it. I like seeing raw emotion from athletes. I It's just, it's, it's quirky, right? Because the way he got pulled there, he kind of had to exit stage right. Like, it's not like, you know, oftentimes if a goalie gets pulled, they'll go to their own bench and walk off, right? But this was yeah. kind of the way that the arena is set up and the different uh, configuration there. He kind of had to go yeah. all the way across it. Maybe that was part of it too. But there was one moment there where I thought we were going to see a goalie fight. Like, when Duke Nick came out, yeah. yeah. And <laughs> I, if, if you had to ask me on a list of things that I 
did not think we would ever come close to seeing in the pandemic year would be a goalie fight. And we came a hair, uh, an inch away from seeing that happen on, on Saturday, right? Yeah, no, we did. And I, I definitely agree with what you're saying about you don't want to stamp out emotion. And, and I think that goes hand in hand a bit with some of the stuff that we deal with as media members. Like how often do we say we want emotion, we want personality from players, and then we see that and go, oh, but not like that, or oh, not that much, you know, and then the players are just like, why would I ever say anything to you ever again? You know? Why, like, this is, it all comes down, it's a bit of a chicken and the egg situation with hockey players, how, you know, they're cliche, they can be dry. Okay, is it because they're like that? Or is it because they've been burned too many times for showing their personality and showing their emotion? And people don't, they're just like, oh, we don't like that. Don't do it like that. So I definitely agree, you know, Bennington, you know, running at guys on his way out. I mean, it's like you said, it's not the most egregious thing we've ever seen. It's not the best thing we've ever seen. Like I said, too, like it's not it's not awesome. You're not watching that and saying like right on like Bennington, right on. Love that. But you're not I didn't watch it and say like, oh, my stars, you know, I wasn't clutching my pearls. <laughs> but a goalie fight in the pandemic like that wouldn't uh, that would have been like one of the last spots on the bingo card, you know, totally just like pandemic hockey season goalie fight. Yeah, wouldn't between St. Louis and San Jose, it would have been like a battle of Alberta one, if anything. But even not then, because I know Markstrom and Riddick have both said like we're not. That's not what we do. We're not boxers. We're goalies. But I didn't have that written down on my bingo card. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, as as we continue the conversation about uh, you know kind of pandemic hockey here, Haley. You know, one of the storylines I think in the month of February was the fact that we saw so many games get uh, postponed. We saw so many teams get ravaged by COVID. And now as we go into March, I'm going to use the word or the phrase cautiously optimistic. And I say that because whereas, you know, two, three weeks ago, it felt like we were inundated with teams being shut down on, on, on a regular basis. I believe as we sit here right now, there's only one or two active cases in the entire league. Um, we know enough about this uh, this virus to know that you never put up the mission accomplished banner, right? Like it, it, we're, we're always one misstep away from plummeting right back into uh, where we were. But I got to tell you, it feels a little bit better on that front than it was at the beginning of February, right? Yeah, definitely. I think, um, again, like you said, you know, we're not out of the woods yet. Everyone still needs to stay careful. They need to stay vigilant um, with this virus, you know, especially in certain cities uh, where we've seen higher numbers. But I think it is, you know, it is probably nice. I mean, it is nice to see that we're getting a little bit back to, you know, the bubble, whereas all the testing numbers were coming out in the playoff bubble. And it was always, you know, pre-bubble, there was some positive tests. I remember that. But inside the bubble, once the playoffs started, it was zero, 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 zero. I don't think they had a single positive test in the playoff bubble. So it is really great to see that we're getting back to that because it did get a little bit, you know, there was a lot of really fair questions being raised about what's going on here. Um, why isn't this working? You know, what didn't you implement that you should have? Why are we even playing hockey right now? Um, and I think there was a lot of really fair um questions raised, a lot of fair criticism while we were seeing so many players enter the protocol list, um, enter and people testing positive for COVID. Uh, we had 
John Vogel on and he asked some very fair questions um, and he had a lot of great stuff from how the Buffalo Sabres felt about the COVID situation after playing against the New Jersey Devils. So I think we're heading into this place where, you know, maybe people are feeling a little bit safer. Um, you know, obviously only one active case right now is is a hell of a lot better than where we were at a few weeks ago. So um, it's just it's just a much better situation. It's safer for the players, their families, the coaches, um, and their safety, obviously, is the most important thing this year. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, Haley, I think we do this once a month, right? We did it in January. We did it in February. Now we've flipped over to March. It is a little Dom, Dumber and Dumbest with our uh, pal Dom Luchichichin. Did I get it right this time, Dom Luchichichin? Jesus Christ, Ian. Come on. He asked me this already. Like, you yeah. literally said it the exact same as the start of the show when no, I told I didn't. you it was The first wrong. time I yeah. said Dom Luchichichin, now I'm saying Dom Luchichichin, and you're telling me it's wrong both times. It's, yeah. I figured you'd learn by now. No, I, this is part of the shtick. It's, uh, it's about the respect for your colleagues, I think. <laughs> yeah, or lack thereof. <laughs> Or lack thereof. Hey, welcome back. He is, of course, our analytics stats guru. Uh, Always great to have you uh, joining the podcast, Dom. Uh, And and the the thing we want to start off with is the situation in Buffalo seems to be boiling over. And you're hearing from a lot of people that Jack Eichel might be in play. So the question that we have for a guy like you is, like, what's the value based on his age, the position he plays, the productivity that Jack Eichel could potentially have? If he were a trade commodity right now, it's it's so hard to say because a player like Jack Eichel is not available very often. The elite number one center quota of every championship team is the hardest to fill. And unless you're tanking, you usually can't get one in a trade. So the fact that Eichel is potentially out there is huge and the last time a player of his caliber was traded was probably Tyler Sagan. And you look at what Boston ended up with from that trade, it was a whole lot of nothing. So the goal for Ottawa, for Buffalo should be to do a lot better than that. Okay, so the bar is just don't get Louis Erickson in return. Yeah. That <laughs> is, that is uh, the key to this. Hey, listen, I, one of the things that I love uh, reading from you, Dom, I, I, is your playoff probabilities. And... I just want to start by asking you a little bit about the North division here. And I'll ask you about, because we've seen some teams like Vancouver and Calgary and Montreal go through some really tough stretches in the month of February. And I'm just wondering from a statistical model uh, perspective, how have the playoff odds in the North division altered in the last four weeks? 
well, if you if you go on the athletic, you can see uh, a little chart I made with uh, with the lines that show, I guess, the the roller coaster everyone's on. And the start of the month, Calgary looked very very good, and as Haley probably knows, they started looking quite bad. And it's a little strange because you see the talent on the roster. They just got Jacob Markstrom, who should have solidified the goaltending position, and it just hasn't worked as expected. So it's been very weird, and they've gone from being a solid playoff bet to probably being on the outside looking in with four teams ahead of them. Uh, Vancouver, I mean, they looked like the sixth best team going into the season, and that's played out exactly, and they've looked probably even worse than that. And I would think that a bad month of February has pretty much done this season in for them because I, I I don't see them coming back from this. Hmm. Do you still see, you know, Vancouver out of it? um, But do you still see there being a bit of like a mushy middle for this division having, you know, Toronto number one, Edmonton's maybe pulled away a little bit as the number two. And then is it just going to be a bit of a fight between Montreal, Winnipeg and Calgary to get the last spot or two? I, I think so. I think right now Edmonton, Montreal, and Winnipeg are pretty comfortable. And I know you you don't want to hear that personally because you probably want to cover some playoff hockey. But <laughs> there's there's a pretty big gap between Winnipeg and Calgary. And that gap might be even larger because my model, for whatever reason, isn't a big fan of Winnipeg. And they have some very weak underlying numbers. It looks like they're propped up by some hot shooting and goaltending. But... At the same time, it's a team with a lot of talent. And last year, their goals percentage was around six percentage points higher than their expected goals percentage. So that's something that they might be able to sustain this year as well. And that needs to be something that's kept in mind when looking at their numbers and my model potentially underrating their chances. They they do have a lot of points in the bank right now. And while I do think they might regress, they're probably not as bad as my model suggests. Uh, now, Tom, staying on the uh, the topic of kind of playoff odds here as we move into into March, I don't think a lot of us thought that the Chicago Blackhawks or the LA Kings uh, would be in in a position to to maybe make the playoffs. I think a lot of us figured that their window to be a champion had uh, long since closed, and that they were sort of entering this rebuilding phase. As you look at those two teams, former uh, you know uh, heavyweights in Chicago or LA, who's got the better chance of making the playoffs this season, Blackhawks or Kings? I I definitely think it's the Blackhawks because it's not that I think either team is exceptionally good, but the Blackhawks have a bit of an easier path in the Central because the Stars have sort of struggled of late and there is an opening there. And I think Kevin Lankinen has provided a lot of stability in that for Chicago that a lot of people didn't expect. And they have a few rookies that are really performing better than anyone thought they could. With the Kings... They had a nice recent stretch, but I still am not buying it. They are not a great possession team. Their lineup is thin outside of their top line, and I think they're getting a lot from their power play that I just don't expect to continue. The other issue is that with the way Minnesota is playing, it's looking very hard to see a fifth team break up the previous top three of Colorado, Vegas, and St. Louis, and... St. Louis, when they get healthy, I think they can turn things back around. Your favorite hockey team, the Minnesota Wild. 
I love them. Uh, (laughs) One of the things that Ian and I kind of had here that we did want to pick your brain on is, are we seeing a regression, at least when it comes to offensive statistics in Sidney Crosby this season? A little bit. And it's disappointing for me personally, because I drafted him on my fantasy team thinking, all right, this is my, uh, my first round pick. It was a keeper league. So he was available. And I'm like, okay, this guy's going to bring us to the promised land. And he's sort of been a little slower. But I think the biggest issue is the Penguins power play right now. And Evgeny Malkin has not looked himself at all. And that's sort of taken a key cog out of that machine that's usually in the top 10 and that's going to take away a lot of Crosby's potential production so once Malkin figures it out if he does I think we'll see that power play start clicking again a lot better and Crosby's production should go up a bit because at five on five he's still doing very well well you had a story last week about Evgeny Malkin just looking at you know are his elite years over? What did you find in digging into Malkin? One of the weirdest things is Malkin is not getting chances in tight this season. And we've all watched him for the past decade. And it seems like he's never had trouble getting in tight. He is very strong. He's very fast. He can do it all. And this year he's struggling to get those chances. He's shooting a lot from the outside There's times where it seems like he has an opportunity, but he just throws it on net. And it's hard to score when you're not going to the dirty areas. And that's often a cliche that's used against some players. But for Malkin, there's a legitimate change you can see in the data from year to year that is very un-Malkin-like. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIP. So don't listen, we're going to actually get you to stick around if you're cool with this for multiple choice madness. And you actually asked to not, you wanted to just run through this. And I like this about you, you know, you're going into this and you're going to answer with just your, your gut instinct, right? Yeah. That's, that's how we do things. Yeah. But I I like this because I think you have the reputation of being so uh, well-researched, well thought out and, you know, kind of statistically driven I actually like this approach from you saying, you know what? I don't want to see your questions. I'm going to answer with my gut. So I like this. This is a nice little uh, wrinkle. Hold on. L- let me like, pause you right there. I, I'm not – like I didn't research before this podcast. You sent me questions <laughs> and I just like, all right, those are questions. And like these things are just – they're already in my brain, I think, because I'm just always like looking at it. So I don't know if it's just <laughs> that research has become secondhand that I don't realize it is, but it's just already there. That's why I don't feel like I, I needed to prepare for the multiple choice. Oh. So we'll we'll see how I do. <laughs> were, were you like this in like in in high school 
Were you one of those kids that didn't need to study? Yeah, that was me. <laughs> and uh, I'm so glad. <laughs> I'm so glad we didn't know each other in university. Uh, yeah, you would have hated me. I uh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't take notes. I barely paid attention. Didn't really try. Um, I focused only on my journalism classes, and I got A's in those. And every elective was a C, and I'm like, all right, that's good enough. I don't care. I didn't try very hard, and I'm still here. So that's a lesson to all of you people out there. Effort is overrated. Yeah. Well, on the other side of that, so Dom and I, Dom and I were like two years apart in Ryerson journalism. I think mm-hmm. so. We both went to the same program. Dom's like an older man, um, so he was uh, ahead of me by like two years. And we both had Sean Fitzgerald, who works for the Athletic as a professor. And <laughs> Sean was one of the ones who helped me get this job at the Athletic. But I'm pretty sure when Dom like applied for the Athletic, Sean was like, mm, "I had him in school. He wasn't. Ooh, he didn't try very hard." Yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't so, apply. I uh, I slid into Myrtle's DMs <laughs> for freelance opportunities. And yeah. Myrtle, I think, talked to Sean. And Sean said, are you sure? And then <laughs> told him about uh, yeah. the time in sports uh, journalism. Uh, I don't even know what number it was. I'm just going to say 101 yeah. just to bug Sean a bit. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think I was already freelancing for the hockey news at the time. So I didn't care too much about uh, a sports journalism class. And I told him that later. He's like, okay, that makes a lot more sense. And still something we joke about. Yeah. Long story short, we had very different university um, approaches. Yeah. Approaches. Yeah. Approaches. Okay. (laughs) Then this is perfect. And we're going to put those two approaches uh, to the test here because Haley has seen these questions. I know (laughs) Haley enough to know that she's probably done some research on these. Dom, on the other hand, has not seen these questions. It is multiple choice madness. Here we go. Here's question number one today, okay? Patrick Kane scored his 400th career goal over the weekend. Here is my question. Does Patrick Kane deserve the mantle of the best American-born hockey player of all time? Your options are obviously A, yes, B, no. Haley Salvian, Patrick Kane, best American-born hockey player of all time. I think it's really difficult to compare, you know, I guess eras. I think there's players who played a long time ago who you could say, oh, well, because I think, you know, Keith Kachuk, for example, he remains to be the only American-born player to ever lead the league in scoring. Um, He does have a pretty decent Hockey Hall of Fame case. Yeah. What, Dom? Patrick Kane led the league in scoring. No, he's the only player. He's the only American-born player to like have the most goals in the NHL. Oh, goals. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Goals in the NHL. Okay. I, um, I thought you meant points. No, no, no. Like goals. He remains to be the only U.S.-born player um, to lead the NHL in goals scored. Um, but at the same time, in saying that, like he, Patrick Kane's still playing. There's guys who who retired who are in the Hall of Fame or who have XYZ record. But, um, I mean, yeah, I think that he is the best player right now. I think there's maybe some players who might pass him, um, but I would say, yes, Patrick Kane is the best American-born player. Yeah, I was going to go with option C on that wavelength of players that might pass him. Um, Patrick Kane will is the best American-born player right now, and he will be for, I would say, the next 10 years until Austin Matthews dethrones him. And I think that is not, I don't think that's too hot of a take. I think it will happen. 
Okay, but he, okay, here's my only counter to that is that Kane has won three Stanley Cups and has been a money postseason performer. And I think that that is part of the narrative on Kane, right? Like I think when Chicago was run, running high, he was the clutch guy. And for Matthews to get into that stratosphere, like Matthews could be this generation's Mike Medano or like a Pat Lafontaine. Unbelievable statistical numbers, but does Matthews need to get postseason success? Like to me, that's a big part of Kane's legacy is the three Stanley Cups. But would you argue that Alex Ovechkin's not the best goal scorer right now because he only has one Stanley Cup? Or until he won that Stanley Cup, he wasn't either because yeah. he didn't have that ring. I just I think that's a team award, and I don't love the the ring argument, especially in hockey where one player doesn't have as much of an impact, and that's just as much Taves's and Keith's Stanley Cups mm-hmm. as it is Kane's and. There's bit players on those teams that have three cups and no one gives them the same reverence. Um, Obviously, he played a very big role and he is a clutch playoff performer, but Toronto is uh, still on the cusp and they may get there still and Matthews will be the one leading the charge for that. We both say yes. You both say (laughs) yes. All that is just yes. (laughs) With an asterisk that uh, he might get passed at some point. Okay, here's question number two. We're going to look back at the month of February. I'm going to throw out four stories that came out in the month of February. You tell me what was the most surprising story to you in the month of February. Is it A, Brian Burke? Back in the game, takes over as the president of hockey operations in Pittsburgh. Is it B, the Montreal Canadiens firing head coach Claude Julien? Is it C, the New York Rangers cutting ties with Tony D'Angelo? Or D, Chicago Blackhawks were on fire in the month of February, and they're kind of comfortably sitting in a playoff spot in the Central Division. Dom, Brian Burke, Claude Julien, Tony D'Angelo, Chicago. What's the most surprising storyline of February for you? It's that is a tough one. Um, I don't think any team going on a hot streak is that surprising to me anymore because it just happens every year. And it's just like, oh, I guess Chicago's doing that. Cool. And I was just happy to be betting on the Blackhawks a lot during that streak. Um, Brian Burke is a hockey man, and hockey men have 19 million lives. So, again, not surprising. Um, Montreal is absolutely insane. So, Claude Julian getting fired, not surprising either. Um, Tony D'Angelo getting blacklisted from the league, basically, I think was the most surprising to me and not because I think it's a bad thing. It's because I just didn't think an NHL team would have the stones to do it. All right. Dom, Dom's going with uh, Tony D'Angelo. What about you, Haley? Yeah. Just so we don't like agree on everything. Cause I think that's always boring for people to listen to people just nod and say, yeah, I think so too. Um, it's we're twins. I'm going to say, yeah, it's true. Unfortunately. Um, (laughs) I would say that the Habs firing Claude Julien was a bit surprising. At the same time, I agree when Dom says, you know, it's not that shocking because I think there's a lot of pressure and anticipation right now um, for the Montreal Canadiens and in that market. But I think heading into the season and especially if we like roll the tape back and hear the things we were saying about the Montreal Canadiens a month ago, um, we were arguing that they were maybe one of the best teams in the division. Um, Like, look at how great the Montreal Canadiens were. So I think if we just look at the expectation and what we were talking about, um, you know, a couple of weeks, you know, a month ago when we first started the podcast, I would say that if you would have told me then that Claude Julien was going to get fired because the Habs lost to the Sens twice and they, you know, started regressing a little bit, I would have been shocked. So I'm going to say that that's the most surprising to me. 
Yeah, I mean, you go back and we were ready to engrave Mark Bergevin's name on GM of the year in, <laughs> yeah. in February. And now that has certainly uh, taken a turn. On to question number three, uh, here's, here's what I want to know. I'm going to lay out some potential uh, playoff matchups involving geographic rivals, okay? You tell me what's the one all-state or all-provincial playoff matchup you want to see this year. Is it A, the Florida Panthers against the Tampa Bay Lightning, B, the Pittsburgh Penguins against the Philadelphia Flyers, or C, Edmonton versus Calgary. Haley, you can pick one all-state or all-provincial matchup you want to see this year. What are you going with? I mean, it's pretty obvious for me. Um, I would selfishly love to cover a Battle of Alberta playoff series. So um, those games are awesome. Even before I moved to Calgary, I thought they were must must watch games and you know with the play-in series and the way things restructured last year we got stolen or that was stolen away from us like we were supposed to have a battle of alberta in the playoffs last year if things all went normal i believe that's the way things were shaking out but with the kind of everything that changed with the bubble we didn't get to have that so um that's it's c for me easily uh, dom same question to you florida tampa pittsburgh philly Edmonton, Calgary, what would you want to see? I don't think anyone needs another Pittsburgh Philly series. We've had enough of those. Um, <laughs> I think Tampa, Florida, I don't think it's ever happened, and it would be awesome to have that, but you got to be crazy if you're not taking Battle of Alberta here. I mean, that there's so much fireworks between the two teams. It would be a bloodbath, and I want to see that. <laughs> see, I... I, I... I think I want to see Florida Tampa only because I think like you said, we've never seen it, right? Mm -hmm. Like we've never seen a playoff matchup and they've both been in the league since the nineties. So I don't know. I'm kind of intrigued by something that we've never seen. Although we, I do, I believe we have not seen Edmonton Calgary since 1991 in, mm -hmm. in a playoff series. So that uh, that's pretty much a 30 year drought there. Speaking of the number 30 on to question number four, multiple choice madness. It is which member of the LA Kings who's North of the age of 30 is having the best season, in your opinion? Is it A, Anse Kopitar, B, Dustin Brown, C, Drew Doughty, or D, the goaltender, Jonathan Quick? All right, so Dom, you get to go first on this one. They're all north of 30. Kopitar, Brown, Doughty, and Quick. Who's having the most impressive season for the LA Kings for you? Uh, definitely not Quick, because he's not even the best goalie on his team. Um, so yeah. I'll, I will take Anse Kopitar. He's been amazing. He's looked very close to his peak self. He's turned LA into a one-line team that, that can actually win, and he's getting a lot of points. He's, I think, driving play as good as he used to, and I, I'm not as impressed with Dowdy just because he has a lot of points, and Brown, I think, is a product of Kopitar, so I think that has to be the answer for me. Haley, Kopitar, Brown, Dowdy, and Quick. Uh, I'm going to go with Dustin Brown. I mean, he has 11 goals in the last 20 games. He's leading the team in scoring. Um, he has 17 points just behind Kopitar. And, you know, like Dom said, he could be a bit of a product of Kopitar's strong play, but he is still finding the back of the net. And, you know, last season he only had 17 goals, and he's already more than halfway there um, through 20 games this season. So I think, you know, this could be a pretty good year for Dustin Brown. And, you know, we could see some regression because they are all – they are all over 30, and I don't think the LA Kings might – I mean, they might not sustain this pace, but I'm going to say Dustin Brown. Um, you know, he could he could hit 20 goals this year, and that would be the the first time he's done that since, I think, I guess 2018-19 he had 22 goals. 
Um, so I'm going to say Dustin Brown. Yeah. You know, the funny thing on Dustin Brown, about four years ago, I thought he was done. Like I was like, mm-hmm. this guy is finished. And then I think he had like a 28 goal year, uh, maybe three or four years ago. And he kind of, I don't want to say he's had a second act here or whatever, but he's actually been more effective than I thought yeah. he would be. So I, I kind of tend to agree with you. Okay. Fifth and final question on this Monday, uh, multiple choice badness mm-hmm. here. Now this, I'm going to throw this out. You tell me good idea, bad idea. Maybe it's somewhere in between. So this year, the NHL, of course, has four separate divisions and they only play uh, within the division. So because of that, I want to know, do you think the league should hand out individual awards for each division at the end of the regular season? I.e., here's your MVP for the Central Division, it's Patrick Kane. Here's your MVP for the North Division, it's Austin Matthews, et cetera, et cetera. Yes or no? Good idea, bad idea, Haley. No. I don't, I don't know why. I just think no. Maybe I'm one of those like really cranky, like old man yells at cloud who doesn't like change. Uh, but no, like I would just like to see who's the league MVP. Um, I think you can have players who are really good in each division, but who's the best player in the league? That's what I want to know. I think Haley just doesn't want to do four times as much work with her awards ballot for the voting. Yeah, yeah. no, oh, but you would only vote on so the so long. You only to vote on the ba- on the division that you cover, right? Oh, okay. I didn't. I didn't know that. I you didn't explain that part there, Ian. Um, <laughs> I I like the idea because it, it really does feel like four separate leagues right now. But I wonder if the the right way to do it would be to have four nominees for each award and one from each division and go that route. But yeah, then again, you have probably the two heart favorites coming from the north, and that might not be fair to Austin Matthews to not get that nom. Oh, I thought you were talking about Marner and Dreisaitl there. Mm. So, okay, good thing you clarified. Good thing uh, you clarified. Okay, listen, we're actually going to keep you around even longer, Dom. You didn't realize this. We're just going to open up the mailbag here. And we got some questions uh, thrown at us from, from Twitter. And I'm going to throw these out to both of you. I'm going to start with this one here from Max. The Columbus Blue Jackets gang have lost five consecutive games. There's talk that maybe the seed under John Tortorella has gone from kind of warm or tepid to, to hot. So here's the question from Max on Twitter. Hey guys, what is going on with Columbus? Could there be a coaching change? What do we think? What's going on in Columbus? I I don't know because they, they looked great last year. They were a strong defensive team. And then this year with mostly the same personnel, it just hasn't worked at all. And they're one of the worst possession teams in the league right now. Last year, they were above average. So it's a huge drop off in that regard. And I think John Tortorella is a great coach, but every coach has a shelf life and he's been there a pretty long time. And I think his message may have gotten stale over that period. Yeah, I hate using the, you know, it feels like such a cliche or just like a lazy take. But, you know, you have to wonder if maybe the guys have just kind of tuned them out. Um, it looks like a team who, who like Dom just said, you know, maybe the message is lost now. You know, are they even listening anymore? Because how many times are you going to hear the same thing and not apply it um, before, you know, whether it's deserved or not, the coach falls on the sword. And, and typically we see the coach, you know, fall on that sword um, when, when teams start to go stale, um, again, whether it's deserved or not. So I think, yeah, it's probably getting a little bit hot. Um, one of the questions I wanted to throw at Dom and and maybe you could answer this one too, Ian, I got this, um, for Dom specifically, 
Um, Dom, do you think Toronto is good or just playing bad teams or both? And how do you think they compare to teams like Tampa or Colorado? And I think that's a really great question because I think we've seen um, some of our American colleagues, you know, I know Sarah Sivian you know, <laughs> made a TikTok about how the Canadian teams are scoring well, but they're not scoring against Tuca. You know, you're not scoring against Tuka Rask, so maybe you're not actually that good. What do you think about uh, that take? I think it's hilarious that Tuka got lit up immediately by the New After York that. Islanders, mm-hmm. a team that is not a good offensive team. Um, <laughs> I actually got a message from my editor with this exact same question saying, hey, what do you think about doing a story on whether on where the Leafs stack up to all these other teams and whether they're just feasting on weak opponents and... It's such a difficult question to answer this year because teams only get to play other teams in their own division and you can't really compare. At the same time, I think the current messaging is so overblown because people see the high scoring games and assume that the teams in the North are bad when they're just maybe bad defensively. They, No one talks about how the North is the strongest offensive division. No one frames it that way. And I think a lot of it is that people refuse to believe we live in a world where the Leafs might be good. (laughs) And I don't know why, because they have a talented team. They had a strong off season. They were expected to be good. I had them in the top five odds makers had them in the top five. Every single model model had them in the top five. It was just people who only think about playoff wins and losses that assume this is a bad team. And while their record might not be this good, in another division, I still think they would have been one of the top teams in any division in hockey. Yeah, I, I think what, what's happened with Toronto is they've entered that realm where Tampa was last year, where Washington was a couple of years ago, where it doesn't matter what you <laughs> do in the regular season. Like from the public perception standpoint, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You could run the table, go 56-0, and 0, and there'd be a bunch of smug people with like, yeah, well, what are you going to do in the playoffs? That's what the, that's where they're at right now. That's where Tampa was last year. Tampa, you Tampa has been good enough to win a cup for about four years, and until they did it, the public was was kind of holding them at arm's length. Same with Washington. That's where Toronto is. Toronto has been good enough to win a Stanley Cup, I think, for three years, and I think mm-hmm. they're good enough to win a cup this year, and they're probably going to be good enough to win a cup next year. And the only question is, can they get it done? And it doesn't matter what they do between now and May. I don't think it's kind of crazy because people like you can see that Tampa's winning their division. Boston's winning their division like pretty handily and they don't do the the arithmetic in their head to think, okay, Toronto was the third best team in that division. They always had to get through Boston, who was one of the best teams in the league. Maybe it wasn't really Toronto's fault that they kept losing the first round because they always had to play Boston. And last year, they lost to Columbus, and I think that's when people were like, okay, this team sucks. And that's very understandable because that was the first time that Toronto was actually expected to win, and they blew it hard. They failed hysterically. We all get that. But I think they are in that realm where what happens in the regular season doesn't matter, and they'll have to actually prove it in the playoffs. But this team looks good enough to prove it this year. So I want to throw one at you, Ian. I'm kind of taking control over the hail bag. Okay. Taking the questions today. Uh, The one that I want to throw at you that we got, um, Josh Norris, an unprotected first round pick, Logan Brown, Eric Brandstrom for Jack Eichel. Do you say yes or no? 
So, so what is that? So Ottawa gets Jack Eichel for what? Josh Norris, an Eric unprotected Brantz, first, yeah. Logan Brown, an unprotected first, and Eric Brandstrom, Josh Norris for Jack Eichel. Yeah, I mean, if we could work Louis Erickson into this deal somehow, yes. But yeah, I, I, <laughs> I'm doing that every day of the week. If I'm Ottawa, every day of the week. I for listen, that much. I told you, I'm, I am foolishly Ian. big on Jack Eichel. I love the guy. Ian. I think Jack Eichel is an elite player. So yes, I would. I would do that, but it's that's possible. just a, a first a first round pick, your potential second line center. But I'm not losing Stutzla, and I'm not losing Brady Kachuk, and I'm not losing Shabbat, and I'm not losing Jake Sanderson, and I get Jack Eichel. Yeah, sign me up. But you lose your prize possession from the Mark Stone trade. Now you have nothing. You have Vitaly Abramov. No, that's not even the right deal. You have nothing. I, I got Jack I- Eichel. <laughs> Can I can I raise my hand and speak for a second? Yes. If Buffalo got that package, fire everyone in Buffalo because that is a pile of nothing. You, you think got, so? Josh Norris is good. I'll give him that, but he's a second line center right now. Like maybe he has a higher ceiling, but he's not Jack Eichel. Eric Brandstrom has shown extremely little, and I think viewing it as in the lens of oh, this is the prize possession from the Mark Stone trade is treating him as a sunk cost fallacy. And if there's any value for him, then you should go for it. A first round pick is steep, but this is a, supposed to be a weaker draft. So I, I don't think it's that bad. I don't think you're going to get a player of Eichel's caliber. And I don't even remember what the fourth asset was. So that's how forgettable Logan that Brown. part was. Yeah, like whatever. Who cares about <laughs> Logan Brown? I, we're, we're all on very different pages. I think I value, I'm looking at all of that and saying like, that's a lot to give up for one player. Dom just thinks we're both stupid and Ian just loves Jack Eichel. So we're all on very different pages. Yeah, one. well, you know what? But that's a perfect way to wrap up the show because Haley, we're going to let Dom... You just said that he uh, thinks that we're both dumb. We 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 understood that. We've always known that. It's now time for Dom to uh, to hand out which one of us was you know dumber and dumbest uh, between Haley and I. I I promise this is not recency bias. Uh, Haley was getting this from the get go, and that's because <laughs> before the show started, she could not figure out how to work her AirPods, and huge revelation for her to realize you can turn Bluetooth off, and then she ends the show. By saying Buffalo should take a package of nothing. That's for not Jack what Eichel. I said. That's not what I said. <laughs> I just said to Ian, like, that's what you want to give up if you're Ottawa. I just said that's a lot. Okay. I didn't say it was like the best trade package. I just thought that Ian would say no to that. Ottawa should take it and run. There we go. We'll have to take it and run. Uh, this was a lot of fun and we'll do it again in April. Okay. We'll bring it back uh, for an April edition of Dom Dumber. And dumbest. Uh, Haley, have yourself a great week. And hey, listen, we'll, we'll enjoy the uh, Kachuk, uh, the Kachuk Bowl uh, when it shifts over to Calgary later this week. I'm embarrassed. My performance. <laughs> right, see, see that's everybody. Perfect, <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. That's a perfect way to end it. And we just want to thank everybody for listening to the Athletic Hockey Show. To please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Leave us a rating and a review. We'd appreciate that. And like I said off the top of the show, we got a listener survey going on right now. You can see the link. It's right in that episode description. So just click on that. Uh, fill it out. It'll take you a couple of minutes, but we really appreciate the feedback because you can tell us what you like and what you don't like. And a reminder, you can get annual subscriptions to The Athletic. They're available to you for $3.99 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash 
Hockey Show. Scott Burnside, Pierre Lebrun, they'll be back at it on Wednesday with the two-man advantage edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. I'll be back at it with Down Goes Brown, Sean McEnroe on Thursday.